Father, in the name of Jesus, we love and thank you. There is none like you. And you've already done great things. If we go home right now, we can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. So, God, just just now uh, anoint your word. It never returns void, so it's going to hit its target. And we pray that it will do so in the name, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And all the house says, amen. Praise God. You know, we, uh, we love the book of Acts. Lord, it's starting out really bad. Good Lord. Someone said if you took all of the miracles and the results from the miracles, you took all that out of the book of Acts, there wouldn't be much left of the book of Acts because it's just a history of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But today, here's well, you know, thousands were saved, people were healed, amazing things happened. But what you need to understand is that most of that did not happen in churches. For one reason, there were no churches. They would meet in the temple, you know, because there were good Jews. But that wasn't their church. That's just what they were used to, and that's where they went on Saturday. But on Sunday, they would meet in homes, in houses. So today, instead of the book of Acts, I want to talk about the house of Acts. And that house is your house. We've gotten this little problem here where we think God only shows up in church, not realizing that it all starts in the house, in the home, with the family. I, I, want, I just want to challenge you. How many would love to see the book of Acts reproduced in your home? Uh, some of you are like, scared to death, right? But I believe God could do that. I believe your house could be a miracle center. I believe your house needs to become an upper room for God. I remember many years ago, uh, President H.W. Uh, I said H.W. Uh, Bush and in my son's office, he talked about points of light, his points of light foundation. And I see in my spirit that every one of our homes could be a point of light that lights up. I think we draw from like seven counties now. And I can see God just lighting up every one of them. Let's look at the record in Acts chapter 2 and, and beginning in, in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, amen, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. Then fear came upon every soul. Listen, folks, we might need to really get back to the fear of God, a healthy Fear. I think the problem with the church today is we're not afraid of God. Yeah, I could a couple hours. But. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. How many want signs and wonders done through you? <laughs> so continuing daily. They had church every day, not just Sunday, not just once a month. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, that's Saturday, and breaking bread from house to house on Sunday, they ate their food with gladness uh-huh. and simplicity of heart, right? From house to house, praising God mm. and having favor, even with all the people. And the Lord added to the church every day. Wow. Those who were being saved, 
You know, that kind of tells me something real quick here. Let me chase this rabbit. <laughs> that it's one thing to be saved, it's something else to be added. I mean, just because you're forgiven on your way to heaven, that's a good thing. But like what Miss Gloria was saying, it's one thing to be pregnant, it's something else to birth it. I wonder sometimes if being saved is when you asked for forgiveness and he gave it to you, but being born again happens sometime later. Well, don't we believe that life begins in the womb? So is it possible that we could be in the womb? This is too deep. This is too deep for y'all. Could we not be like still in the womb, alive, but not reborn? Wow. Chew on that. That, 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 uh, I know some of you are going to string me up for that one. That's, that's, that's. So listen, there weren't any church buildings until 300 A.D. Yeah, let's have churches all over. Saved. Constantine got saved, and all of a sudden he says, yeah, let's have churches all over the kingdom. And all of a sudden they start building churches. Amen. Because the emperor said, you better get saved because I'm a Christian. You better be. I mean, that was the beginning of the watering down of Christianity. But nevertheless, they started having buildings then. They went 300 years meeting in their homes. I believe the glory of God can come back to the home, that God could do something. If you're the head of your house, you need to start praying, oh, God, do something in me to bring the glory to my home. And I'm not just talking about your building, but your family, your extended family. I believe, uh, like, like the, like the Philippian, uh, Philippian, that guy, jailer, uh, when, when he got saved, his whole family got saved and baptized. I believe God wants to save families, households, extended families, and it's going to happen. Let's look at the history book. Let's go to the book of Acts. Let's look at one of these homes in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Let's look at the, at the history. Let's look at what happened. So when he had considered this, he came to the... Now, let me, let me give the background. Peter was in jail. Peter gets set free, right? The angel comes in and taps him. Hey, Peter, let's go. And the doors just uh, supernaturally open, and they just walk right past the guards. Ooh, hallelujah. You know, half this church used to do drugs, so you all know what I'm talking about about jail. I never got caught myself, but <laughs> come that close. But, but anyway, the jail, I'm sorry, the jail, some of you will be locking up your china next time I come to your house. You're like, so, so, so the, the, the jail opens up. Peter just walks right out. He almost thought he was dreaming. And here's what happened while he was in prison, okay? So they came, uh, he came, Peter came to the house of Mary. Mary is the mother of John whose surname was Mark. Remember John Mark? He, he traveled with Barnabas and Saul. And he says, where many were gathered together praying in a house, in his house. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda. Oh, I tell you, it, it's great to get your name in the book. Rhoda came to answer the door. The rest of them are praying. Apparently, she was not praying. <laughs> They're like, we're praying. Go get the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the door. She did not. Ah, it's Peter. She didn't even let the guy in. She did not open the gate, but ran in the house and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She said, Peter's here. Well, Peter's in jail. So they said to her, you are a little looney tune. Isn't that weird? They're praying for Peter to be set free. 
there is at the gate. And they say, oh, you're Looney Tunes. I reminds me of that woman. They, were, they had this drought, and they were praying for rain, and she showed up with an umbrella, and they criticized her. It hadn't rained in months. What are you doing out here with an umbrella? Aren't we praying for rain? We need to start acting like we believe what we pray. Oh, come on, do a praise break right there. You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting. No, 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 really, he's out there. Well, I don't know why they didn't just go look. No, he's there, he's there. So they said, it's his angel. Where was this church at where it was easier to believe an angel that was knocking at the door than Peter himself? It's, it's Peter's angel. How many believe they must have had a lot of visitations from angels back then? All I want is to get to the place where there's a knock at the door and it's 50-50, an angel or, you know, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> we pick up somebody, 50-50, oh, that's an angel. It happens all the time. Wow. So, so Peter continued knocking, right? Hey! <laughs> somebody open the door. You know, he can get out of jail, but he couldn't get in the church. I'm going home. Wow. Couldn't get the church door open, but he got the devil's door open. My God, that'll preach. Ah, that wasn't even in the notes. <laughs> that was divine revelation. Now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. You know, when I was first saved, I would get into this thing in my prayer life where I would start praying for certain things, and I would just start, how many get in a habit where you just start praying for it every day, and you stop thinking about it, you just you know go through your little list. You just pray for it every day, and all of a sudden it happens, and you go, Oh, my goodness, you've been praying every day for six months. It finally happened, and you're astonished. I don't know what's wrong with us. And they were establishing astonished. First thing we need to do, we need to start establishing an upper room in our homes. And, and I know everybody in the family might not go along. And your extended family, especially, you know, they're going to cause it. Well, where's so-and-so? Well, he's in his prayer room. Well, you know, he's a nut. People will say, not everybody in the home may not understand what you're going to do, but don't wait on everybody else. Even if you're not the head of the house, you need to establish a quiet place. <laughs> the only room available might be the bathroom. Just, oh, I almost said sit on the throne. I, I, uh, uh, maybe it's that old empty broom closet. Uh, I, I love to, when the weather's nice, go out on the deck or out in the woods. I mean, I, you got to find and, and, and maintain a place called the upper room. I think it is important to have a place. It helps to have a place and to have a time. We'll talk about that later where you can do it. You know, because here's the thing. What I'm preaching today, some of you are going to catch this. It's going to be like a vision. It's going to be inspiration. You're going to get it. It's kind of like, and, and Gloria was talking about this, it's kind of like when Abraham got the vision, but then he had to go explain it to Sarah. Uh, Sarah, um, I'm 100, you're 90, but we're going to have a child. And remember, the angels were telling Abraham this, and she was in the tent. She starts laughing, like, <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. I am not, I'm still good looking. But I'm 90. You know what I'm saying? I'm 90 years old. I don't think this. So, so look, just because you got the vision, believe me, as pastor, I know what I'm talking about. How many times have I stood here and said, God's going to do this, and some of you snickered. Oh, oh no, they won't admit it, Lord. They won't admit it. I'm sorry. Every once in a while, I just talk to him because you're not listening. To Sarah. Oh, help us. Help us. So here it is. You got to explain it to Sarah. 
and Sarah laughs at first. And but but listen, you need to you need to push ahead and do it anyway. So there, there let me go into this. There's two women in scripture, most especially in the New Testament. Most of the women in the scriptures actually kind of represent the church. And you can find. And I think years ago we did a whole series on on several of the women in the in the in the gospels and what they meant because they represent the church and what that means. So I, let, let me, can we, we, we preached here before on this, on these two women. Uh, one had an issue of blood for 12 years, right? And the other one was a 12-year-old girl who dies. And I, I don't have time to get into this whole story, but Jairus comes along, and uh, he, he says, Jesus, you need to come to my house because my 12-year-old is is dying, and eventually they a, a note comes that she's dead, right? So you've got this 12-year-old girl, but on the way over there, that woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years touches the hem of the garment, and she's saved. And Jesus stops and talks. Don't you hate it when you're in urgent need and someone else is taking up your time? Like, Jesus, come on. I need you now. I need you right now. I need you right now. But Jairus had to wait. And in the meantime, his daughter died. But let's look at the first woman first. Just throw some things out real quick. First of all, the Bible said she had worn out all her resources. We just, you know, she said she spent everything on the doctors. Any of you ever been there? <laughs> Where you just you just scraping to find anything to pay those doctor bills. And she had been to many doctors. And instead of helping her, she got worse. Sometimes we're just always dependent on resources instead of the resource. And it wore her out. She was broke. In today's language, bankrupt. Number two, she was unclean. Go back to Leviticus. All the gory details are there. And that it talks about women with that once a month thing. You know what I'm talking about? And there's a whole thing about what you had to do. You had to wash your clothes. You had to wash your bed clothes. You had to wash anything you sat on. Apparently, y'all didn't read that, did you? And anytime you had an issue of blood that made you unclean, and and anyone who slept in the bed that you were sleeping in became unclean. It just spread like cancer. So uh, you had to clean, and your husband may, may have had to go through this cleaning process. But I want you to hear something. This woman, this woman didn't have a monthly issue. She had a daily issue. For 12 years, she never did get clean. You had all these people standing up there. There's just, there's just times in our life where it's not an occasional fall. It's just a lifestyle, a lifestyle of failure, a lifestyle, a lifelong thing of failure, of, of not being able to break through, of never getting through, and that frustration. You might even be a Christian, but there's this stuff in your life that you've not yet broken through, and you're wondering, God, am I ever going to get victory over it. She just never had a moment. And it doesn't mention a husband, but, you know, I mean, I feel sorry for her, but I kind of feel sorry for him, too, if she was married, because he was constantly unclean. So she was unclean. She was, uh, um, and, and here's, the thing, here's the third thing. She bled from the place of relationship. So she was not able to have relationship. She was not able, next point, to reproduce. Am I talking about the church here? Am I talking about churches here that get to the place where they have no more resources, they just feel like constant failures, they bleed from the place of relationship, there's no reproduction, there's no souls being saved. The Bible says that she pushed her way, uh, number five, she pushed her way 
through the crowd. It just said she pressed. And the Bible doesn't say this, but she is, and maybe she, well, you know, legally, she was supposed to do this. Anytime she got near anybody, she had to say, unclean. How would you like to live like that? How would you like, just as, as you got close to somebody, you had to confess whatever sin you had right now. Oh, my God. Some of us can't even admit God. You get close to somebody, and it's like, oh, I'm a drug addict. Stay away. I, 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 I had a thought in my head. It was not pure. So, so stay away. How would you know? <laughs> Let me go over here. The <laughs> Bible does say confess your faults one to another. Okay, how many right now, how many wives want me to go to your husband's? Let me, go, let me know. Raise your hand. Oh, <laughs> it's confession time. Isn't that weird, though? You had to say, unclean. And everybody knew you had an issue of blood or, or you were a leper. <laughs> unclean. So I, I don't know. She was supposed to say that. The Bible doesn't say whether she did or didn't. But isn't it cool? If she did say it, that meant that the crowd must have parted. She pressed through, but all she had to do was say, unclean. Isn't it weird? Isn't it amazing that the thing that kept her from her miracle is now the thing that got her the miracle? Ah, somebody praise him. God can use the very thing that's, that's an obstacle in your life. He'll use it to make a way for you. Somebody praise him in the house. Oh, my, 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 hallelujah. Your obstacle, your bondage, your very thing is going to make a way for you. Give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. And the last point about this woman is she touched him. No, no, you all didn't get it. She touched him. We love to sing that song. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. But there's a whole nother dynamic where you can touch him. Some of you will never get your miracle until you push through your obstacle and quit waiting on him to touch you, and you need to reach out and touch him. We'll just start singing the, the, the new way. I touched him. Oh, I touched him. Woo, glory to God. Where, where did we get this passive Christianity that just kind of, well, you know, he'll bless me when he gets around to God. I call it the arms folded, you know, Christianity. Sometimes I see you out there while I'm preaching. Or, you know, and the attitude is, bless me if you can, preacher. And they got their Bibles open only to just test everything I say. Well, that's all right. You're supposed to test the Word, amen? Just do it with a good attitude. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. <laughs> Jesus said, who touched me? He felt virtue come out. How many of you have ever felt that power surge come through you to someone else he, that, that, that came through him? But, but he didn't know specifically who it was because a lot of people were brushing by him, but none of them reached out to touch him. Too many of us want to be around Jesus. We want to hear the word. We want a new word. Be careful about always wanting a new word. You might wind up with a weird word. It was enough for them to be in the vicinity, to be around Jesus. I just want to go to church and feel the presence of God. But church, we've got to get a new lion spirit within us, a new courage within us that we're not just hanging out in church, but we have a determination to reach out and touch him. Take the initiative. Amen. He's here. Touch him. 
Oh, no, I can spend a half hour talking about the hem of the garment and the flow of the Holy Spirit and the anointing and what the hem means and all that stuff. I don't have time for all that. But you need to hear what I'm saying. God healed that woman who, who, who had been uh, bleeding for 12 years. She was not able to be fruitful. And after he healed her, Jairus says, well, my daughter's dead. Jesus said, no, she's just sleeping. No, no, she's dead. I know, I know dead when I see dead. How many believe they knew dead? And it's not like he, she died right then. I mean, I don't know how long it took for him to get to the house, but he gets there, and they're already, they already got the paid mourners out there. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of people crying over the church. It's time to get victory in the church. Let's quit crying over what used to be. Let's quit crying over what we lost. Let's quit crying over, oh, it could have been, I remember this. Listen, uh, uh, some, of, uh, some of you worship in your memory more than you worship in reality. I don't dare say it again. I need a bigger pulpit. God, help me in this place. Now, I don't know if she's dead or not, but I do know what Jesus said. Jesus said she's just sleeping. Now, you, you can interpret that any way you want to. Here's how I'm going to interpret it. Too many of us have given up on the church. Too many of us have given up. Listen, I talk to preachers all the time. They're like, I just can't get anything. I can't see soul saved. I, the church won't grow. We're just declining. We're dying. Uh, I can't get young people. I can't get millennials to attend church. We're, we're just struggling. We're just hurting all the time. Oh, the church is dead. No. The church isn't dead. It might be asleep, but it's not dead. It may look dead, but it's just asleep. We just need a word from Jesus. And, oh, my God, if we could just get that word from him, that little girl is going to come up. So you got two women. One was unable to reproduce, and the other 12-year-old was unable to reach maturity. And they both were healed. And they both, one was able to reproduce, and the other one grew up to reach maturity. So dude set up a house, an upper room, a house of acts. I, I got to go quick, but you can just kind of go through the scripture, Second Kings chapter 4, and we preached there. We've hinted around there, danced around there the last few weeks. So you know about the Shunammite and Elisha, and, and, she, and you know, he keeps going by her house. The Bible said she was a great woman. That meant, that meant she was extremely wealthy. So we see a church now that is blessed and extremely wealthy and able to do things. And, and here, here she comes. I wish I had more time on this. And here, here he comes. And she said she noticed. So she said, I I'm going to persuade him to eat some food. So she went from an act of hospitality. You'd be surprised what happens just through hospitality. There are blessings that come to you only when you're hospitable. And hospital hospitality will always cost you something. But if you're willing to do it, there are blessings that come. Just coming out here and, and preparing that food and putting, putting things together, cleaning up, straightening up, hanging after the event and do the dishes. I felt the Holy Ghost on that one. That is God. That is a God person that stays to wash dishes. Hallelujah. So she went from, watch this, she went from an act of hospitality to the habit of hospitality. She said, let's, do, let's not do it just once. Let's do it every time he comes by. And then she said, then she said to her husband, hey, you know, he's always coming by here. He said, why, just hold that scripture right there. She says, why don't we just, why don't we just prepare an upper room for him? She went from visitation to habitation. It's time we go from just getting a visitation. 
to a habitation. Instead of him just dropping by on a Sunday morning, we take him home and he lives there. But you have to prepare room. Don't expect God to live in your house with all that other junk there. I'm not talking about clutter. So, so what did she do? She said, let's make a small upper room on the wall so he could see out and keep his vision. And let us put a bed, say a bed, a table, a chair, a lampstand, so whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Oh, God, if we just had a place where he could turn in. I don't have time to get into all this, but the bed represents a quiet place. The, uh, the, 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 light, the light represents a place of declaration where we could declare the revelation of the Lord and that light. Uh, and the, and the, uh, the uh, where am I? And the, the chair, I mean, the chair represents the declaration because it's the seat, the throne. We are seated together with him in heavenly places, right? I'm tr- I'm, listen, I don't have time to get into every of these little details that I've preached a hundred times before, so you should get this. So uh, we get the chair of, of, of declaration, the light, the candlestick of revelation, the bed of a quiet place in his presence, and then the table, which represents communion with him. St- listen, you need to stop spending your whole prayer time just asking for things and just be with him. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute as we close. How many remember Naaman? God, you know, go dip. He had leprosy. Go dip in the Jordan, muddy ever seen Jordan it's just an old muddy river he said go dip in the river seven times right comes up the seventh time and then Naaman Naaman was not a Jew Naaman was a Syrian so he had to go back to Syria and he was the king's right hand man and they they worship false idols and they asked Naaman basically listen to this listen to this what are you going to do when you go home and here's Naaman's response second Kings chapter 5 jump over to that Verse 17, 18, 19. This is from the message. And he says, if you won't take anything, because he offered Elisha a gift and he wouldn't receive it. If you won't take anything, said Naaman, let me ask you for something. Give me a load of dirt. I just preached a load of dirt. What are you going to do with it? I'll explain. Give me a load of dirt as much as a team of donkeys can carry, because I'm never again going to worship any God other than God. Wow. But there's one thing for which I need God's pardon. I don't know about this. He's like, I need forgiveness before I sin. Well, let's go with it. When my master, the king, leaning on my arm, right, I'm the number two guy, enters the shrine of that false god, Ramon, and worships there, and I'm with him there worshiping Ramon because I'm there, may you see to it that God forgives me for this. And ask God, what in the world does that mean? The first part about the dirt is this. They had a custom, they believed, that you couldn't, because every country worshipped a lot of gods. So if you wanted to worship some other country's god, you couldn't do it unless you got dirt from that country. So you would get a big wagon load of dirt, bring it to your country, dump and use the dirt to mound up an altar, and then you could worship the God of that other country. So Naaman says, I can't worship God in a foreign land unless I have dirt from that land where Jehovah reigns. Listen, you can't worship God on this earth without a touch of heaven. On earth as it is, in it, you need dirt from glory. Get your donkeys. Get your donkeys because what God is downloading in your spirit right now, you need to take home and make that an altar somewhere in your house. 
And then the second thing is this. You're going to make some mistakes. There's going to be days you forget to do it. There's going to be times that it doesn't, that it doesn't work for you. There's going to be some opposition. It's not always going to be easy to make your house an upper room. But like Naaman, Lord, forgive me in advance. If I mess up, I mean well. And if I fail and mess up, I'm going to get up the next day and do it right. Am I helping anybody in this place? I think we set out with high goals, then we mess up, so we give up. It's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. That makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to challenge you. I'm not sure. I think it's in your bulletin. Is there a card in the bulletin? Here's what. It takes, they say it takes 70 days to get rid of an old habit and establish a new one. I want to challenge you. For the next 70 days, which will lead to one of the announcements that I can't announce yet. Just pray. Just listen. Just pray for the glory and declare the glory. You'll be fine. Watch this. On that card, it says, I, the first thing I do in the morning, or as near to the first thing as I can, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes for 70 days. 